Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Digital Grocer Season 5, Episode 6. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And joining me today is Mark Fairhurst, my co-host, Mercatus's VP of Marketing. Morning, everyone. Morning, Sylvain. Good to see you again. Well, it, well, it's great to see you. It's like, you know, this is kind of like our regular thing now. We're, we're catching up. We're doing much of episodes. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and <laughs> certain someone on my team is very happy that we're doing more more shows, as I'm sure some of our retail clients as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, this is going to be an interesting show, folks. Uh, it's part three of a three part series. In part one and and part two, we interviewed some amazing guests: Zach Wilson from Rayleigh's, uh, director of e-commerce, and John Luco, the retired president and CEO uh, COO of Giant Eagle. We tackled some important subjects. We talked about the transition out of COVID-19. And I like to think this, we're in a period of new normal until we hit the fall, I think. Uh, the impact of inflation on e-commerce and how retailers are or should prepare and what they're doing to in fact prepare. Now, in this episode specifically, we really wanna talk about the Canadian and US economy and the impact that it, it is having on consumers. The risk of a recession, stagflation period, um, and and let's be honest, we also want to tackle you know what's happening from a geopolitical perspective and what it is going to do um, on the economy, the effect on the economy as well as consumers. Now, as always, you know it's one thing for Mark and I to really speculate on these broad topics and in line with our promise to our listeners and. and or to our own DNA, um, we decided to bring in an expert to help us tackle this subject. And so joining us today is Claire Fan. Claire joined the Royal Bank of Canada, one of, one of Canada's largest banks, as an, uh, the economics team in 2019. As an economist, uh, she holds a Bachelor's of Business Administration from the University of Toronto and is, has a Master's of Financial Economics from Western University. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today on Digital Grocer. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Sylvain. Awesome. So let's just dive in. I, we, we have a bunch of questions we want to ask you. And this is something, you know, Mark and I read all the trades and we read newspapers in Europe. We read the newspapers in both Canada and the U.S. So we like to say we wax philosophically on some of these things, but you're our resident expert for, for this show today. So we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Now, to start off, can you share with the audience what you and the team at RBC are seeing um, as current macro trends for both the U.S. and Canadian economy? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so in terms of the current macro trends, we're, let's start with the current macro state uh, of both the Canadian and U.S. economy. So what we're, where, where we're at is really a, uh, you know, a, a really uh, sort of healthy, strong economic conditions that's deemed to be actually in excess demand by both central banks. Um, so pretty much over the course of the pandemic, you know, demand for goods, particularly durable goods uh, from consumers has become extremely elevated. And part of that uh, was because a lot of the close contact services, um, things like travel or dining, awesome, dining out simply weren't available for consumers to purchase. So they opted, you know, buy more goods instead. It was toilet papers, 
at the very beginning and it morphed into PCs, tablets throughout the pandemic. So, so that's been happening for quite a while now. And now what we're seeing with these close contact services reopening, you know, everyone's heading to the airport, everyone's going somewhere and travel demand is picking up, travel services, uh, you know, is rebounding quite rapidly as well. So um, we're really sort of at this top of the hill sort of economic condition where consumer demand is, is extremely resilient and strong. At the same time, we've been having a lot of problems on the supply side. Um, so we've all heard about supply chain disruptions, you know, the extended shipping time, uh, elevated shipping expenses. Um, on top of that, the chip shortage, um, the geopolitical sort of uh, turmoil that we will be touching on later as well. So a lot of that is creating uh, disruptions for, you know, wholesalers, manufacturers, importers, and retailers to really to be able to produce enough to catch up with uh, the, the demand that we spoke about that was so elevated. So in this sort of scenario, you know, it's not really adding to growth anymore. We're not seeing growth increasing drastically any further. What we're seeing is higher prices. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, in, in this sort of scenario. So inflation has been surging globally um, here in Canada, in the United States as well. Um, and a, at the same time, labor market conditions are extremely um, sort of elevated. We have we counted about 70 percent uh, higher in job openings uh, relative to pre-pandemic competing for 13% fewer unemployed workers. So it's it's a really unbalanced sort of dynamic, even in the labor market that's been driving wage growth higher. So it's um, it's it's that's sort of where we're at uh, at this stage, really. That's, that's just an eye-opener. And is your, you and your team at RBC are you guys seeing a change how consumers are spending or saving saving their money right now? Well, yeah. Um, uh, well, the, the short answer to that question so far is no, but we do expect to see some changes upcoming. You know, first of all, in the near term, um, what we counted the saving stockpile that's hoarded by consumers. Uh, partially because, again, they weren't able to consume, partially because a lot of them were receiving government support throughout the pandemic. So that counted to be north of $300 billion, and that's a huge amount. That's roughly equal to three times the annual total spend on travel activities back in 2019. So that's going to offer some buffer in the near term, you know, with higher inflation biting more into consumers' purchasing power, as well as, you know, rising interest rate pushing debt servicing more uh, uh, debt servicing costs higher. Um, so all of these headwinds to consumer spending uh, will be countered a little bit, at least in the near term, just because of this buffering that we spoke about. But um, and we're, we're seeing exactly that. So uh, we do track internally, you know, um, our own debit and credit card spending. And that's showing something like total spending to 30% above levels pre-pandemic. And that's oh, 2019. Yeah. yeah, so it's extremely elevated, and part of that will be price increases. But you know, if you see inflation is, it's it's only it's not only, but it's it's only eleven percent. So eleven percent of that thirty percent would be price increase, but all the rest of, of that thirty percent would be organic, strong, incredibly strong spending uh, at the moment still. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this it's interesting. I I love the fact that you kind of talk about this buffer 
Um, Mark and I recently had a conversation with a um, grocery retail CEO out of the United States where, you know, we were asking questions about what are you doing in your business in terms of protecting, you know, uh, price increases down to your consumers. And, you know, and he was sharing very much their strategic process. We push back on the consumer packaged goods companies to defer price increases so we can control. And they have done that quite, quite easily in the first six months of the year, the latter part of the year will be very difficult. They will have to allow it to go through. And and also they are going back out to market to source for different providers. Mm. And and that becomes very difficult because as you're saying, the supply lines are still constrained to certain to certain extent. Now I I'm old enough to remember, and maybe not that old enough to remember, but when we went through uh, in Canada in 82, a stagflation period. And at the time, our, our Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau, you know, had put a, uh, a price freeze on, I think it was dairy and, and wheat, wheat products and so on. So could you, you know, and, and recently, we just went through a 1% rate hike uh, here, in, rate hike here in Canada. The U.S. has gone through uh, an increase in interest rates as well, and the media is talking about recession, stagflation, and my experience, I'm seeing my parents go through it, and this is a two-part question for you. Can, can, we, can you define stagflation for us? And if you can, I'd love to, and, and maybe it's a three-part question now, draw a comparison of the stagflation we may be in today, if we are, versus what we lived through in, in, in 82. Sure. Um, so to define stagflation to begin with, which is the first part of the three-part question. Um, so stagflation would be a period where, you know, you see slowing in economic activities, um, you know, labor market conditions start to deteriorate, but at the same time, you see inflation accelerates. So all three of those are just sort of um, what makes a stagflation type of scenario uh, in the economy. And, um, you know, we're not, we're, we're simply not, uh, not in that sort of uh, scenario. Uh, as I spoke about earlier in the first question, you know, the, the current inflation trends are very much driven by really strong economic fundamentals still. So we're at an incredibly, you know, sort of heated condition. And uh, that's what's been driving the, uh, the, the inflation trends these days. And um, there, there are a lot of reasons to expect inflation to start to come down. Um, and in, in the, like uh, we counted, it should turn a corner by the end of next quarter, although we have been saying that for quite a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, eventually it will be true. But, but you know, a lot of headwinds uh, for, uh, for inflation, you know, we're seeing a persistent easing in an assortment of shipping indicators. Um, you know, we do get uh, shipping time, flexport data uh, that counts the days, uh, you know, products, uh, you know, from factory floor in, 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 in Asia that it gets to here um, in North America as well as Northern Europe. So th that time has been shortening quite significantly. And that's not something that's seasonal because it's persistent um, for quite a while. It's been persisting for quite a while now. 
So we're seeing a lot of that uh, at the same time, you know, global commodity prices. So wheat prices and oil prices, I don't know where oil prices, it's, 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 it's a tough one. It's uh, like uh, the volatility in the oil price markets is just uh, quite substantial these days. But still, they've come down from 120 bucks uh, per barrel a month ago to something, if I can correctly, it was more like 96 yesterday when mm-hmm. the market's closed. Um, so, you know, with with a lot of those uh, sort of turning a quarter, we do expect to see some good signs in terms of inflation slowing, presumably coming very soon, both in Canada and the U.S., especially with, uh, you know, the central bank hiking rates more substantially as well. Um so what we're seeing of the three part uh, that's required for a stagflation to happen, we're inf- we're expecting inflation to come down. So that's why we're not expecting the, the both economies to be heading for a stagflation. But you know, at the same time, the risk of a recession is is actually uh, rising at this uh, as we speak, um, and that's simply because you know it's the Bank of Canada, like he said, has hiked rates by a surprise a bigger one full percentage point. Um, just earlier this week, and you know, it's it's sort of absolutely uh, necessary at this point uh, for them to keep inflation expectations well anchored. Because once they lose that, it will take much drastic uh, and higher rate hikes in order to bring those expectations down to two percent again. And I, uh, like all of us, uh, we we don't really expect the bank to be willing to risk sort of having that happen. So mm-hmm. you know, with the central banks dialing rates steadily up or not steadily sorry actually in a quite drastic pace over the near term above uh the the neutral range to more a of a restrictive territory so and that's going to put a strain on economic activity down in 2023 so we do expect a small mild or relatively short-lived recession uh that's in our base case now um and we think it's quite likely and from there on you know if if both were to if both things that we're expecting were to be true meaning that inflation is coming down more steadily and at the same time we do get a small decline or contraction in economic conditions then at the at that time you know we, we think the bank will reassess and start to you, you know reverse course and bring rates lower Now, I can remember I was in Los Angeles when uh, the Soviets decided to invade Ukraine. And the one thing that, you know, and I I consider myself a student of history, so I'm pulling out, you know, books, right? The history of Russia, the history of Ukraine, and come to find out that those countries are, you know, have been historically intertwined. And the Ukraine is considered the the breadbasket of that whole region. And now we're hearing concerns of being able to export wheat. We're seeing natural gas being cut into into Europe. How much of this geopolitical conflict is going to have an impact on consumers come Q3, Q4 of, of this year? Um, that's a great question. Uh, we've done quite a lot of analysis at the beginning of the this uh, whole geopolitical, when it just started to unfold um back uh in spring and you know the first of all to count the direct trade linkages from canada to uh 
Russia and Ukraine is quite small. So we don't have a lot of direct trades with them. We don't export a lot to them. We don't import a lot from them. So from that perspective, you know, it's, it's not sort of any sort of material impact in terms of what we're trading. It's more so everything's flowing through from prices. So we're back to inflation again. So sort of like he said, uh, Ukraine itself, actually, I think, yeah, well, it's it's definitely already having quite a big impact in terms of supporting wheat and other commodities to areas close to uh, Russia and Ukraine. Um, but Ukraine, we counted uh, to be exporting something like 3% of global wheat consumption. And uh, we think Russia is still exporting at the moment, um, although it's there are a lot of sanctions obviously going on. But, you know, the, the back to the point, direct trade, not so much of an impact, but it is, you know, markets are pricing in what could be happening down the future. And that's sort of what's been driving, you know, the surge in wheat prices at the beginning, markets were foreseeing a lot of future disruptions that could potentially cause an impact to global supply. So that's what's been driving com- commodity prices much higher. And that's what's been driving, unfortunately, local gasoline prices also much higher. I haven't checked lately. I don't want to check. Like every time <laughs> I pass pass by a gas station, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a few cents higher. So, um uh, but 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 to to that point, you know, it's really sort of uh, a, an inflation where we expect the geopolitical sort of influence to flow through. And on that front, the commodity prices have turned a corner. Um, you know, uh, it, exactly how this geopolitical sort of situation unfolds in, in the future is something that's you know it's quite an uncertainty at the moment. Um, but we believe that you know prices after having hit a peak already, you know, the the further sort of impact on inflation trends is probably downward. On that note, I, I mean, interestingly enough, <clears throat> I believe uh, Canadian uh, wheat farmers are going to expected to have a bumper crop this year. And they've actually mm. planted more, uh, mm. more crop and that which will hopefully offset some of the food price increases. Yeah, that's great. And so to the business leaders that are listening to the podcast and, and, you know, they're starting to plan for, for 2023, any advice for them? Um, yes, of course. So, uh, first of all, you know, there, there, there are three things I would say to, to, uh, to, to sort of expect for, uh, for, from anyone really in terms of what we're projecting in, in our base case, first of all, uh, we can expect lower inflation and we counted all the headwinds and why we can reasonably from this point on hopefully expect lower uh, inflation trends absent any sort of major disruptions to or any sort of other geopolitical, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, drivers happening again. I'm losing my words, but you get the idea. So lower inflation in our base case, we are expecting core inflation. So core inflation is defined as anything outside of food and gasoline. So, and it's more a true reflection of uh, global, uh, domestic consumer demand rather than a lot of these global factors because food prices will be influenced by wheat gas prices will be influenced by oil prices. But so core inflation is expected to dial lower to 3% by the end of um, this year. So, um, you know, it's, it's, that's what we're projecting and moving into the, into 2024, it's, it's going to hopefully start to come closer 
uh, to the target range of one to three percent. Um, and the second thing that we can all expect is obviously slower domestic and foreign demand uh, for goods and services. And you know, in the near term, we talked about the savings. Uh, buffering a lot of the headwinds, but in the longer run, you know, first of all, the savings is not evenly distributed around uh, among households. Higher income households have saved more of the excess savings in comparison to some of those that, that are learning, earning lower income. So that means a substantial, substantially smaller buffer for these households that are historically also more um, sensitive to uh, economic cycles. Um, so these are the households that are going to have to pull back demand first. Um, you know, they'll have to rethink about their spending pattern and reallocate their budget, uh, you know, curb back on things that are discretionary uh, just because, you know, things like food and gas, you really, the, the, they're non-discretionary and the costs are surging so much higher. So it's go going to cut into their spending first and it's going to spread more to a broader lessening demand from consumers across goods and services, uh, eventually, you know, lead to a downturn, a mild downturn in, in 2023. So that's the second thing to expect. And the third thing to expect, you know, the labor shortage issue, which I'm sure like a lot of business leaders are struggling with. Um, you know, it, it, when we have demand lessening over 2023, you might see a temporary easing in the sort just because there simply aren't that uh, the same level of demand for workers, probably uh, with with consumer demand for consumption lowering. But, you know, you can expect that to come back because we've been talking about this for, for, for a while now. It's labor shortages. They're underpinned by long run structural demographic mm. changes. Um, they're the new normal. You know, we already have a substantial uh, proportion of the working age population above the age of 65, and that's only going to grow. You know, in Canada, we have great immigration policy, which is going to offset some of that, but uh, it's not going to off offset uh, the, the sort of broader trend of aging demographics. So expect that to come back. So um, and at the same time, a lot of things can be done, you know, invest better uh, for better equipment, invest in retaining or training program to, you know, get more out of the existing pool of labor that you already have, uh, we think would be sort of the solution moving forward. So that's that's pretty much uh, what we're expecting for uh, the, the, the economy into 2023. And um, yeah. Awesome. So I think I think the one to kind of synthesize also what, what Claire just shared with us is for the retailers that are considered EDLP, everyday low price, right? We can think of someone, some of the ones here in Canada, you would have uh, you would have Walmart, you would have no frills in the United States. And then there are a ton of those. This is a great time. If so, if you have a consumer that is going to be tight on capital, you risk of them trading out of your business and going to your competitor that can offer an even better uh, price. Normally, we would advise at this point to make strong investments in your private label brands that are typically less expensive than your national brands, but offer you better margin as a retailer. So at the very least, you're protecting your AOV, although your unit ac accounts per order will go down. And also we're seeing the US government, and I think Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, the US government just announced a, a revised investment in SNAP uh, EBT. Um, uh, USDA is expanding the program. USDA yeah. is expanding the program to be able to help consumers. 
So great advice, Claire. It's been amazing having you in our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for lending credibility to a subject that <laughs> most people just read the headlines, right? And they just, you know, you kind of demystified it for us. Thank yeah, you. That's awesome. Thank it's you, Claire. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We got a, our next episode uh, will be really amazing. We're going to be bringing on board Mike Davidson. He is the CEO of Bueller's from Mooster, Ohio. Mike's going to kind of share from his perspective what's happening uh, in at Bueller's and how they're preparing uh, for the current uh, economical situation and how they're servicing their customers. Thanks for watching and listening to our show. We've got more great episodes on digitalgrocer.com. And we'd love to connect with you on social media at Digital Grocer on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and at Digital underscore Grocer on Twitter. Like, subscribe, and click that bell icon so you never miss another Digital Grocer podcast.